Hebrews chapter number 11, we are dealing with this subject, began this morning, of Egypt being a type of this world. And of course, it is so in many ways. We've amplified three. One, in that the children of Israel were in Egypt, but they were not of it. Um, We are in this world, Jesus said, we're not of this world. Uh, The songwriter said it, well, this world is not my home. And uh, then, of course, the world hated God's children. Egypt did. Jesus said, the world has hated me, it'll hate you. It was in that world that Jesus, or that the Father went and uh, wrought redemption to bring out His children. And, of course, through Christ Jesus, uh, redemption has been wrought to save sinners, and, of course, to eventually take us home. We saw that analogy between the children of Israel and Egypt, that world, and, of course, the world that you and I have to live in. We mentioned the reality of it. We don't want to be cold. We don't want to be indifferent. But that's just life. Where you're at is... That's just life. I have a little poem I come across. I'll read uh, a couple of verses of it to you that has to do with this. Uh, It said, It's not for me to be seeking my bliss, nor building my hopes in regions like this. I look for a city that hands have not piled. I pant for a country by sin undefiled. And then another one said, A script on my back and a staff in my hand, I march on in haste through the enemy's land. The road may be rough, but it cannot be long, and I'll smooth it with hope and cheer it with a song. And while this world offers nothing but reality, thank God we have hope that the Lord has planted deep within us. But tonight I want to move a step further, and I want to preach on what I call the reasons for it. Egypt. Why did God plant His children there in such an adverse environment? I'm sure they wondered that. And as I said this morning, they probably said, what in the world am I doing here? We have expressed that in our experiences from time to time. And I must say that if it were my children, I don't know that I would have put them in Egypt. I, I, I don't know that I would have locked them up in bondage and in servitude and all of those other things. But you see, God knows best when He places you where you are. There is a purpose behind that. And I didn't come tonight nor this week to give you the answers for your individual conditions or situations. I don't know the answers to my own. But I'm saying in a general sense, God had a reason for placing His children in Egypt. And in a general sense, God has a reason for placing you where you are in this world. And so let's, uh, let's look at these, uh, these verses. Hebrews 11, verse 21. By faith Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith or the first one with Jacob, by faith, verse 22, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment 
concerning his bones. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And verse number 29, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians assaying to do were drowned. I want to emphasize this matter of the reason or the purpose of which God planted His children in Egypt and allows us to be where we are. Of course, He could have saved us and transported us to heaven immediately. In doing so, we would have never had to combat the devil, the world, the flesh, and all of those other things. But God never... uh, He didn't purpose it that way. He left you here where... Where there would be battles, there would be trials, and there would be testings, there would be tribulations, there, there would be adversities, there would be conflicts, and those things that we preached on this morning that, that we would have to experience. But the question is, Lord, why would you do such a thing? There are three things that I want to point out to you, three reasons that I want to elevate out of these texts. First of all, I want to suggest to you that the reason why God allows us to live in this world, as He did the children of Israel in Egypt, is for the purpose of acclamation. It is amazing that, that God could do heavenly works in an earthly environment. That God could fulfill heavenly purposes in human vessels. And that if you wanted to pick a place where God was doing his greatest work, you probably wouldn't think of Egypt. Yet that's where God chose to do his his work. And probably nowhere else in that time, a matter of fact, I'm sure that during that time in Egypt, nowhere else was God doing a work quite like he was doing in Egypt. And may it be, may you understand that that where you are, as I said this morning, on your block, on your job, it may be that God's doing a work, a special work there in your life, unlike that would be done anywhere else as far as you're concerned, and that's why He has you there. Because what He's doing is He's, he's taking human instruments to acclimate you to a heavenly atmosphere. In other words, He has prepared a place, a promised land for the children of Israel. But he's got to prepare the people for the place. And that we're not just going to step off into heaven uh, with carnal minds, carnal bodies, uh, carnal 
activities and things like that. But what God will do in this old world is somehow he will, he will take the extremes of Egypt and he will cultivate in us not, not an Egyptian spirit nor an Egyptian longing nor an Egyptian song, but somehow it, it cultivates within us a heavenly characteristic. And the longer that the children of Israel stay in Egypt, the more that they seem to remind us that, that they are not of that world and that there are heavenly ca- characteristics that seem to be prominent and seem to rise up. You seem to see it and appreciate it. That God is using this world to carve God is using this world to mold. God is using this world to make His children and to acclimate them so that they will not be strangers when they enter that city. But thank God uh, there will be, as is said in the song, a foretaste of glory divine. And uh, that there will be that earnest of the inheritance that you and I possess on this side that will be just like what is on the other side. So that we will have been cultivated to be able to step off on the other shore and know what's going on there and not be strangers, as I say, when we get there because God has done a heavenly work in an earthly place. He has invaded Egypt and now he has begun this work. The scripture said, be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. And of course the Bible said we are predestinated to be conformed into the image of his what? Son. But this is taking place in this world. Now, Let me point out to you some things that I noticed in our text that seems to be apparent, but they're they're not of this earth. They're not of this world. They were not cultivated in this. They they, they did not come from uh, the systems of this world. The only answer is is, is God must have been there and done this work, or, or else how would these heavenly things be there? And what God is doing is He's... He's reaching down to earth in your heart and your life and he's, he's doing heavenly things so that there is, a, there is a heavenly characteristic in you that was not born in you. You did not learn it in school. It was not instilled in you. But God invaded your world. And he began to do in the midst of Of your world, he began to do heavenly things so that you became like a heavenly creature. Notice with me, first of all, in verse number 21, I would ask you, the Bible said, by faith Jacob when he was dying. Do we know where Jacob was? What country was Jacob in when he died? Does somebody know? He was in Egypt. But what was he doing when he died? The Bible said by faith Jacob when he was dying blessed both the sons of Joseph and did what? Worship. <laughs> that is a heavenly characteristic. But yet it's taking place in a, in a, in a world of idolatry. Worshiping many gods. But yet this matter of being able, and that's what worship is, is, is reaching out of this world into another world 
and bringing another world into this world. That's what happens every time you worship. It's, it's an exchange of atmospheres coming together. Heaven, the songwriter said, came down and glory filled my soul. And aren't you glad in this earthly walk that there are times of which you can experience an out of this world experience. Not Martians, but thank God the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son. And there is that worship that, that reaches out of Egypt and and it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a heavenly thing taking place in, a, in an adverse environment and an earthly, earthly tabernacle. God does that. Why? Because he's acclimating Jacob, he's acclimating you and I because that's what's going to happen when we get there. Full time. Full time worship. That'll be wonderful, won't it? So, so there is this heavenly thing called uh, worship that is there. And, and then he, he uh, the Bible said in verse 22, by faith Joseph. Now I would ask you what country was Joseph in when he died? Egypt. But he made mention of the departing of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Now what he has said and what Jacob said, we know for certain. As we read this morning, they said, hey, we've got a promise that began with Abraham, Isaac, and came down to Jacob. And you know what that was? That promise was nothing more than a, a word from heaven that became alive on earth. A word from heaven that, that germinated on earth. Being born again, not of corruptible things, but of incorruptible, how? By the word of God. The very word of God on the throne of heaven is alive in Egypt in the hearts of the saints. Not only then, thank God, I'm glad that God's word is alive. Not only in this black and white, not only in between the, uh, the pages of this book, but I'm going to tell you the, the, the word of God became alive when Christ saved me in an earthen vessel. Isn't it amazing that God's word is living in a pagan society? Heaven came down. God breathed in this world. I'm talking about he's acclimating us. He's getting us ready for the big trip. But he's, he's oh, I'm glad the Lord will come to where you're at, but he ain't going to leave you there. And he may come to you just like you are, but he's not going to leave you like you are. He's going to change you, and he's going to use this old world to accomplish that. Isn't it amazing? I don't know how he can do it, but he does. He uses the fiery trials. He uses, he uses the molding and the making. He uses the carving and the crushing. He uses this, but when he's done, he has, he has acclimated us to another environment. He has taken us Above the routine of this old world. There is worship in, in, in Egypt. There is the word of God in, in Egypt. We notice here in verse 21 down through verse number 29 that in reference to Egypt, faith is used seven times. And so here is this dark, dismal, 
place called Egypt that no child of God would ever want, and you wouldn't imagine God would be doing anything. But yet it is crawling. Egypt is crawling <laughs> with those heavenly bugs that have within them a faith that believes beyond the natural and the human and the circumstantial, but believes that heaven can rule earth. Faith mighty, the promises sees, and looks to God alone, laughs at impossibilities, and cries, it shall be done. I'm glad that the Lord has acclimated me with his word. He has acclimated me with his worship. He has acclimated me with faith. Faith. Boy, these are, these are divine characteristics, but they're alive in this world. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to worship. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to appreciate the word. We don't have to wait. No, 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 no. We can have heavenly factors working in us in earthly places. And then that what it's all about. When you and the Lord get together and you're part of your world, heaven comes down. It is like that. And oh, what a wondrous thing that it is. I notice even the emotion of the matter, the, the feeling of the matter is, is there in Egypt when, when the, the, the Bible tells us that they, they feared not, they feared not, but yet while they did not fear the king, they did fear God and they cried out unto him, oh Lord. They cried out unto him, that emotion, that feeling. I'll tell you, I wouldn't give you 10 cents for something you couldn't feel. Now, I realize it's first of all based upon faith and based upon the word of God and things of that nature. But I'll tell you, when Christ saved me, he put a feeler in me. And ever since then, I have felt. Now, I'm not saying that you should express it in any certain way. There's, there, there are some folks that express their feelings with tears, some with the raising of the hands, some may even adventure out with a bold amen. And others may stand and say, glory, hallelujah, however it happens. I do believe that if you are a child of God, there will be the breath of God within you that breathes out toward heaven and expresses its feeling as the children of Israel, the Bible said, the Lord heard their cry unto him. And isn't that what permeates within you? And within me in this old world <laughs> is that breath of the Spirit of God that breathes toward heaven. And as I say, heaven and earth come together. There is the acclamation. God has his children in Egypt and he's putting within them those promised land characteristics so when he brings them out they're not going to come out as tainted Egyptians they're going to come out as children of God that have experienced God in an Egyptian place 
And I'm going to tell you something. When we get to heaven, the Lord's not going to bring us all and line us up and say, all right, now, brother, song leader, I'll tell you what, we're glad to have you here, but now you don't go running off in this direction. Don't put your hands on that. And don't get down there and waller in the gold and all that else. Don't act like you come out of Egypt while you're up here. Here's the thing about it is when we get to heaven, there's, there's not going to be these extra classes. No, 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 honey. When you get there, there'll be the freedom of liberty. Why? Because you've already been acclimated by the Spirit of God. You have been prepared for that country. And so what the Lord is doing in Egypt is He's acclimating. He, he, is, he is working on His children to get them ready for the promised land. And how in the world he does it in this old world with this old body, this old mind, with this old nature. Thank God he's got a way of invading it all and preparing me for that country. Aren't you glad that he is? Aren't you glad that he is? Think about it. He has shed abroad his love in our hearts. He has given us peace that passeth all understanding. He's given, he said, be ye holy even as I, I'm holy. All of those are divine characteristics. But yet he has placed them in human vessels in this world. The acclamation. Now, the second thing that I would bring to your attention, the purposes of God in putting his children in Egypt and leaving us in this world is is not only this matter of acclamation, but it is this matter of manifestation. Manifestation. What the Lord is going to do is he, upon the black backdrop of Egyptian society, the Lord is going to show up and be easily and clearly seen. And I'm here to tell you, if you ever see the Lord, you're going to see Him where you're at. He's going to show up again at your house, on your job, uh, on your block, at the place where you were. And, and well be unto you, if you've never seen Him in this world, you don't want to see Him in the world to come. But I'm glad for the day that He showed up in my Egypt in my circumstances, in my situations, when he revealed himself. And I'll tell you what he's wanting to do with each one of his children. Well, he's wanting to come and end right where you're at. He's wanting to show you who he is. He tells the children of Israel that the whole reason and the whole purpose that he's got them down there is so they can see him. Exodus chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. And the Lord said unto Moses... Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of the servants, that I might show these signs before him. In other words, I'm going to show him that, that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's sons what things I have wrought in Egypt and my son's signs, which I have done among them, that ye may know that I am the Lord. And I will take to you for me a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. His whole purpose in the land of Egypt is to let his people know that he is God. Now, uh, Exodus 6 and verse 7, And I will 
Take you to me for a people, I will be to your God, and you shall know. I read that verse to you. Exodus 7, verse 17. Thus saith the Lord, and this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters that are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. Exodus 9, verse 29. And Moses said unto him, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands of the Lord, and the thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more hail, that thou mayest know that the earth is the Lord's. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, And even ye shall know the Lord hath brought you out of the land of Egypt. So what God is doing is he's showing up in Egypt. And he's letting them know that he's God right where they're at. Boy, isn't that a blessing to know that, that God is God right where you're at. And he does this, let me just mention in three ways. One, he mentions the signs. He said, I'm going to come down into Egypt and do a bunch of signs that you may know. And someone would say, well, what is a sign? It's as simple as a stop sign, as a red light. It is something that says, hey, see me? Hey, look over here. At me, getting your attention. And what God is doing in Egypt is he's doing things that will catch the attention of the children of Israel. The Lord in Egypt allowing certain circumstances and then invading and, and saying, gaze upon me. Those times in your life when God puts you in part, he makes you stop right where you're at and he says, Oh, wait a minute. Look, you do see me? You see, I want you to understand that I'm doing something. Has he ever done that to you? Has he ever stopped you where you were at and said, Hey, I'm doing something right here and I want you to see it. I want you to know me through this circumstance and this incident. I want you to know that I am God right here today. This is my sign to you. It is my revelation to you. He shows himself unto them in these signs, these stop signs, so to speak. He does also through a stick. Isn't it amazing? He said to Moses, what's that you got in your hand? He said, well, it's a rod, which was a stick. He said, now you take that stick and throw it down and become a serpent, and, and, and Moses run from it. And he said, no, go pick it back up, and it became a stick. He said, now... What I'm going to do is I'm going to use that stick in many ways in Egypt so that my children may know that I am the Lord. Now, I never saw a stick that wasn't crooked. You just go out and cut a limb down, work on it, and make you a walking stick. But it ain't never going to be a straight stick. They didn't have lathes in those days, and them old shepherds would just find them a stick. But isn't it amazing that God would choose to reveal himself not only through the signs that he does, but through, through a stick. And everything Moses did, he used that stick. He'd wave it toward heaven and the flies would come. He'd wave it again and the frogs would leave. He'd touch the river and it'd turn to blood. Or he'd touch the Red Sea and he'd part and touch it again and it'd come together. But he did it all through the stick. And every time he'd done something through the stick, God said, it ain't the stick, it's me. That's why I'm using the stick. <laughs> I want you to know it ain't the stick, it's me. That's a crooked stick. And I'm going to tell you something. 
God has chosen to use you in this world. And you're nothing more than just a crooked stick. Uh, Somebody said, who's that evangelist you got this week? I'll go ahead and tell you. I'm an old crooked stick. But I'm glad for every time that God will take me and wave it toward heaven and His gospel is preached and He'll rest upon it. And when you leave out, you say, that ain't Him. He's just a stick. (laughs) But it's the Lord that's doing it. He's showing Himself off through a stick. Through a stick. Think about that. God has ways in this world of revealing himself and he wants to show up in your world and let you know that he is God and beside him there is no other. He shows up with a sign. He shows up with a stick. And he shows up always, always, always in the situation that you're in. Jesus said, Father, I pray not that you would take them out of the world, but you would keep them that are in the world. And what God will do is he'll let you get in your situation, your Egypt, with your Potiphar, with your Pharaoh, with your taskmasters, with your brick making, and all of those foreign things. And right in the midst of that, he'll show up and say, hey, I'm here, I want you to see me. And I'm going to do some wonders and amazing things using nothing but crooked sticks and signs. I'm glad for the things that the Lord has used in this world to get my attention. Even an old Egyptian crooked stick to get my attention. Now, let me go to my final thought. I'm talking about the reason. Why in the world does God put us here? Well, there is the matter of acclamation. There is the matter of manifestation. God wants us to know Him. But it is the matter, look in verse number 29 or verse number 28. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Egypt was a place of acclamation. It was a place of of, uh, manifestation. But it was also a place of salvation. It's where God saved his people from. God was going to do a work that was called a work of redemption. It was a plan that caught everybody by surprise. It caught Egypt by surprise. It caught the children of God by surprise. He said, I have got a divine plan that will work because it is a definite plan. And so he instituted this plan, this plan that is called a plan of redemption. As the blood was taken and was shed and put upon the doorposts and the lentils, they took the body and partook of it in a meal and the unleavened bread. And that night death passed throughout the land and smote all the firstborn of the children of this world 
And it's once appointed unto man to die. And after that, the judgment. But thank God for those who were redeemed. God brought them out without the power of death resting upon them. And I'm glad for you and I as God's children, though we may go through the, the, uh, the grave, and maybe not if the Lord comes, yet death has no dominion over you and I. God has wrought a work when He sent His Son into this world called redemption. And I am redeemed. Aren't you glad you're redeemed? But we are redeemed in this world. Isn't that amazing? Redeemed in this world. You know, God didn't have a one place though he did for his son when he paid for our redemption. But aren't you glad we all didn't have to physically go to Calvary to be redeemed? Sort of like the religions of this world, they have to go to Mecca or or you have to go to Rome or something like that. Aren't you glad that we don't all have to get us a ticket and buy, you know, and, and go because the place of salvation is is in Israel, it's at Calvary, and that's the only place you can be saved. But aren't you glad that God can bring this redemption to, to in any place? Redemption can take place at your house, and it doesn't necessarily be, have to be at your house. You can be on the tractor, you can be on the car, in the car, you can be working in the barn, you can be in the bedroom, you can be anywhere, and redemption can show up in your world. Because God has made it that way. God brought redemption to each of the houses of the, and each of the individuals of, of the children of Israel. But it was in their world where they were at. Redemption came to me where I was at. Under the circumstances of which I was raised. Foreign to the gospel. Not having read the Bible. Never praying a prayer in our home. None of that. Dad an alcoholic. No mother. But thank God one day as a 14 year old boy. Redemption showed up in my world. When I heard the gospel. Of the death, burial and resurrection. And the Holy Ghost took it from my head. And put it in my heart. Redemption came, but it came in my world. Can I suggest this to you, then I want to make some closing thoughts, that the reason why we're in this world is that this is the place where God does His heavenly work. Whether it's an acclamation, whether it is in revelation, or whether it is salvation, God does all his work right here. Right where you're at. And honey, if he's done a work where you're at, he can do a work where somebody else is at. I've been to Egypt. And I don't feel much better about it than they did. To be honest with you. But at the same time, there are some places in Egypt that are etched in my mind that I wouldn't trade for because I was able to see some things and experience some things in Egypt. 
But you know what? I was glad I went for several reasons. One, to get to preach the gospel there, but uh, uh, the main thing. But I got to see the, the pyramids. I got to go down into the Great Pyramid and see the paintings and all that other stuff. I saw the Sphinx. I saw the place where supposedly they put Moses in the Nile River. I saw some things. I saw the Red Sea. And, and those are things that are etched in my mind, but I glad, I'm glad I went and I've got it on video and I, and I have been there. The same way with some places in America that I really don't care for. I'm talking about this world. I hope there's no one here that's, that's from Cleveland, Ohio. If you are, forgive me. I had to live in Ohio for four years. And uh, then I got out. There's just not much about it that seems to be appealing. Run-down streets and houses and all that other stuff. I mean, it's, well, you just have to go there to see it. They didn't really care about Cleveland, Ohio. Now, I've got a brother still is there. I see him when I'm preaching up in that area. But, but I mean, it's just nothing about it that I, I care about. But this... The greatest spot on earth to me, and I know there's no virtue in a spot, but I could take you to a place after I heard the gospel on that morning. It was a Sunday afternoon, and I was walking down a little alley just wide enough for one car between 46 and 47th Street, and walking down it, that little old street, potholes and what have you, I could just about take you to the spot when heaven and earth touched. And the Holy Ghost showed up at that spot, convicted me of my sins, showed me I was lost and on the road to hell. I thought you had to be saved in church. That's all I knew. And I said, Lord, if you'll let me live the next Sunday, I'll go to church and be saved. He said, well, if it's all the same to you, I'll save you now. And he did. And what a, what, oh, it seemed like the weight of the world lifted off of my shoulders and, and what a difference he's made. But it was at that spot that is so, I don't care anything about Cleveland, but there's a precious spot that is precious to me because redemption took place right there on earth. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. That precious spot and I'm thinking of the children of Israel once they got out of Egypt I'm sure they did, you know oh Egypt ah well Egypt but yet God told them when they got out of Egypt said I'm going to tell you something I want you to have a Passover every year because I want you to remember an event that took place of which I came into Egypt I, I came into Goth- Goshen and there I redeemed you. And as they told this story year after year after year after year to their children, and their children said, well, what's so special about this Passover? Son, let me tell you where I was, locked up in Egypt, bound by Egyptian chains, and God showed up there and redeemed me. I'll never forget that place where I was redeemed. And I don't think throughout all of eternity that I'll ever forget that little spot. Used to be an old preacher back in the mountains of Virginia who uh, 
We've gotten saved many years ago. He since went on to be to, went on to heaven. Got saved many years ago. But when he came, he always came with two things. He had a Bible and then he had a board that was probably about a foot and a half by a foot and a half. And what had happened was after he got saved, he heard they was tearing down the little old church building he got saved in. And he went back there and asked him. I guess he was pastoring then. Said, do you mind if, uh, if you're going to tear it all down, if I, I take part of it with me? They said, sure, get anything you want. So he went up there where he figured it was that he got saved as a little old boy and took him a handsaw and he cut up that board right there. And every place you saw him, he had his board and he had his Bible. Now, I know there's no virtue in the board, but he's just remembering the spot where the Lord showed up for him. And may I say to you that what this world is all about is to give you an opportunity to meet the Lord and to be redeemed and to be acclimated and to know him as heaven and earth touch right where you're at.